Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am one of your hosts, James, and with me is Joe. Howdy, folks. And Chris. Hey, y'all. And we are, so with the, one of our very first episodes, we talked about our favorite heroes growing up and our heroes now. But today we're going to expand into that topic and go into our favorite heroic moments throughout pop culture, covering all the topics, if you're a regular listener that we've covered on the show. And this was, um, this was brought up as a good topic for, uh, from, by Chris. So uh, Chris, you want to elaborate a little bit more on some of your thoughts about doing this topic today? Sure. Um, you know, it was a little, a little bit off the cuff. And it's funny because after I suggested it, as so frequently happens, I went, ooh, there are a couple of different ways that you, that you could do, you could define heroic moments, right? Because a moment could just be a half second. A moment could be, uh, could feel like an eternity. And then, of course, you know, we talked about, should it only be in movies or comics? And it's like, no, 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 all, all across pop culture, which of course includes things like music. So even though this wasn't in, in my top five or anything like that, you know, there's always talk about Whitney Houston doing the the, the national anthem at um, the Super Bowl, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's and for some people that was a heroic moment. I think uh, actually we're recording this on um, Thursday, January 12th, which means the Golden Globes just happened. And for a lot of people, there were there were two big heroic moments. Uh, one of which was um, oh gosh, and unfortunately I'm not going to remember his name off the top of my head. The the actor who played Short Round in Indiana Jones, and he recently came. Oh, back. Sun Yun. Uh, okay, I gotta look it up. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind looking it up, I apologize. I haven't seen um, everything. I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once just yet. It's still on my list, but uh, my list is is moving as slow as mud these days. But like, oh, uh, Ki Hugh Kwan. Thank you. So he just won a Golden Globe after years away from an industry that frankly rejected him because he was Asian American. So that's, you know, a moment, that's a heroic moment. And then for some other people, I think for a lot of us, even if we don't identify as Asian American, you know, hearing um, Michelle Yeoh, uh, as she's giving her acceptance speech for her Golden Globe, when they start to play her off, she says, shut up, please. I can beat you up. <laughs> I was reading about that. finishes too. her speech and people yeah. cheered for it. And they kept playing over her like she was going to leave. And she had made it clear she was not leaving until she finished what she had to say. And for a lot of people, again, even if we don't necessarily identify as Asian American, that was a heroic moment, too, because she decided she didn't care about decorum or anything like that. She This was an important moment. It was going to be recognized. And she was going to say the things she had gotten up there to say, including um, talking about coming to this country and and being rejected and being having people surprised that she speaks English because of how she looks and all that stuff. And then thanking the people who had made the film. So. Anyway, all of that to say that there are a lot of heroic moments, but they mean different things to different people. So I think the way I had sort of approached this is what kind of emotional, what kind of moment provoked an emotional reaction in you where you you rose up to that moment, right? I mean, one of the things that we've talked about, and I'm, and, and just so everybody knows, there are going to be spoilers here, at least from my list. Um, yes, because, yeah, spoilers, spoilers abound. <laughs> yeah, I think because I think they have to. And the reason I say that is because heroic moments are earned. They rarely come out of nowhere, whether it's our own lived experience or the telling of a story. Um, one of my biggest complaints that I make regularly about live action DC when they do things like the Justice League movie and then the apparent death of Superman you know, the reason I don't care about it is because they haven't earned it. They haven't earned it all over all this time. Whereas the original death of Superman, after years of Superman being a mainstay, him dying, they really earned that death. Am I right, Joe? You're damn right, Chris. Yeah. Definitely. And that's 
part of the problem with current comic books that the heroes don't earn, they don't earn the uh, the wins anymore. It's right. just like it's uh, it's it's very superfluous. It's just nothing. There's no depth to it at all. Right, well, it's, and, it's a it's a gimmick thing now because yeah, you know yes. that oh, you, you, you know yep. you know that character's coming back. You know that mm-hmm. character's definitely coming back if they have yeah. a TV show or movie coming out. So, right. and I think, not, sorry, go ahead, James. No, as I say, it's nothing. Nothing is permanent. I mean, things started not being permanent as soon as they brought Barry back from the dead. So, exactly, sure. Exactly. And I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding. You can write the death of Superman. You could write that exactly the same way, but without the history of the character. It doesn't hit as hard. And so that's where I was coming from with this list was, you know, our heroic moments shouldn't undermine anybody else's heroic moments. They may not resonate with you the way that they resonated with us. In fact, when we share drop this episode, we'd love for you to share your own top heroic moments in pop culture. Um, and why? Because they, they, you know, they mean different things to different people. And so I, that to me was the really fascinating thing is not just the moment itself. I may be familiar with, um, a heroic moment that you describe and and it didn't mean anything to me. But when you explain why it meant something to you, then it changes, right? Now now it's that that intersection between my experience and your experience and your experience actually alters my own experience. And that's something that I dig about it. So that was sort of where I was coming from with this when I created the, you know, where I developed between when I came up with the idea and, and when I developed my own list. So the list I'm going to share with you all today is, is not what I think are like the top heroic moments, period. They're top heroic moments for me personally. And if you identify with it, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. I hope you can um, maybe hear where I'm coming from and maybe when I'm sharing my perspective, all three of us sharing our perspectives will, uh, will alter the way you you look at a thing kind of how um you know it took it took a couple of people telling James he really needed to see contact before he did it. Yeah. Well, thank you Chris for that intro. Um and yeah, that's how I made my list too. The things that resonated with me and Joe, I'm sure you're the same with oh, the yeah. things that that resonated specifically for you. So so let's kick it off. You know, I guess we'll start we'll start, you know, build suspense with number 5. So uh Chris, why don't why don't you um kick us off? Sure. So I, I will admit it was <clears throat> this actually the the approach that I took of um, how did I how did I emotionally rise to that moment made it easier for me to rank my heroic moments because I can just instead of thinking about the power of the moment itself I'm thinking about my emotional reaction to the moment of, the moment itself right so my number five uh, came from a cartoon it was it, it it took I think it was three seasons really to build up to it. Um, it was in an episode of Justice League Unlimited, in which uh, Brainiac has defeated the Justice League. The only the only hero left standing is Flash, and he runs away. And Brainiac slash Lex Luthor, they've merged, goes back to building their machine, and all of a sudden they hear something, they turn around, and there's Flash running at him, top speed. And Flash hits him, and then just keeps going, and comes back and hits him again. And he just keeps circling the globe and hitting him over and over and over again. And then he comes back uh, and knocks him down and just drills into him using the speed force, like pulling all of the Brainiac tech out of Luthor, um, creating this, this like distortion that when the rest of the justice league wakes up, they basically just see him like ripping out all this tech. Um, And then it's just Luthor. Luthor is all that is left. And at that point, Flash's voice sounds really distorted and he says, I feel kind of weird. And he just blinks out of existence. 
And then he sort of like comes back and he's, he's back and forth between reality and, and the, the speed force as he's being called by the speed force. And the entire Justice League bands together and pulls him back. And he says, I don't think I can ever go that fast again. If I do, I'm not coming back. Right. And it's a, it's a great moment that's structured really well, right? Because we see Flash run away and seeing him run away actually does jive with what we've seen of Flash in the previous seasons of Justice League, as well as Justice League Unlimited. It's not that he's cowardly or anything like that. It's that he's not necessarily a force to be reckoned with by himself. He's not really a character to be taken seriously because he doesn't take himself seriously. He's probably just going to get help or something because he doesn't know what to do. Like he's not the decision maker on the team. So it all resonates in a way. And then to have him just come back and just make that sacrifice without a thought, you don't see him sort of think about it and then make the decision and lean into it. He'd already made the decision as soon as he started running. Mm. And so the way that it was created, the way that it was crafted, he was the very unlikely hero of that moment, you know? And, and so for me, that was, that was a top heroic moment, a top five. This was number five for me was flash beating Brainiac slash, slash Luthor um, because of the way that it was handled, but also the history that led up to it that, excuse me, that sort of earned that moment and, um, and cemented his status uh, among the other Justice Leaguers. No, that's, a, that's great, Chris. Yeah, I, I've, I, it's been so long. I, I watched this series all the way through, so it's been on such a long, but when, as you were telling the story and giving your moment, I, I do remember that, that episode. And I, I was like bringing back fond memories of seeing that episode. Thinking, when always we talk about these anim- the animated series and the, um, the DCU Justice League slash Batman animated series world, always me like makes me like I don't want to go rewatch the whole thing again at some point. So, so that's a great moment, Chris. Joe, what's your what's your number five? Well, I'll start with a comic book moment, and it's the Flash, and it's Wally West, <laughs> Chris. Yes, excellent, excellent. Uh, um, Keith knows that. Keith's listening. He's he's gonna know what I'm gonna refer to right now. It is Flash Volume 2, number 54, Nobody Dies. We've, we've talked about this before, but this is an incredible heroic moment. Um, the book starts with Wally bringing down some terrorists. These are guys that want to become Superman because this is the story takes place after the um, the invasion storyline with the Medellin is, uh, is unlocked and numerous people around the planet. So terrorists are holding some guy hostage atop a building and Flash goes into action and, and he takes him down. And then the next day he's boarding a plane with the FBI ferrying a, uh, a prisoner back to Washington. More terrorists, of course, different terrorists this time. And they start to shoot up on the plane. And naturally, when you start, you know, shooting off uh, weapons uh, in, a, in, a, in a pressurized fuselage, you know what's going to happen. So Flash takes down all the uh, the bad guys, but um, uh, um, the airline attendant, Julie Myers, who we were speaking to earlier before things went south, she gets sucked out and he, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's, he's standing there for, you know, for him it's an eternity, right? A split second. And uh, I'm not Superman. I just, I'm just a guy that runs fast. She's probably dead already, but I've got to save her. What do I do? He jumps out the plane and he, and he attempts to save her and he does. And it's, you know, the, the artwork is incredible by, um, uh, let's see, that's uh, uh, Greg LaRoque, inked by Jose Mar- Mar- Marzan. And of course, the story is by uh, William Messer Lobes. It's just an incredible book. It just shows the self- selflessness of Wally West and how one life, he is as important to him as, as, as a plane full of people. Uh, and Wally must save her. He must do everything he can to save her. And he does. And it's very difficult. And he employs every speed trick in the book to get him and the uh, uh, Julie down to earth safely. And it just ends with them uh, on the ground in a, uh, a wooded area, just south, just I guess south of the city. 
and it's a rule. Nobody dies. The end. And that's his rule. Nobody dies. And, and Wally is, you've heard me say this before, next to Superman, I think Wally's the greatest hero in the DC universe. And this issue just proves it beyond shadow of a doubt. So that's my Great share, Joe. Really yeah, great. That was, yeah, that's fantastic, Joe. So I got I had I had a hard time with my list. Um, surprisingly, like I I've consumed so much, and obviously I talk about so many things on the show. But when it comes down to like sort of isolating moments, and specifically through everything that I've seen, it's it's kind of hard to do, especially like um, yeah, for a top five. Um, so I'm going to say that, that the stuff on my list is the stuff that I'm thinking of as of right now, <laughs> so okay. as, as you guys as you guys talk, or even hopefully some of our listeners will give their own things. I could be like, oh, that's a much better moment, or I wish I had thought of that <laughs> moment at the time. But um, no, it's so, much, it's so much to sift through. It really like it really yeah. is because how many you can have a ton of heroic moments in one book or one movie, right? So so I appreciate you appreciate you doing the work, both of you. Yeah, 56 so, uh, years of reading comic books, I have a lot of moments to pick. Right. <laughs> like in some of them, like some, sometimes I can't even remember more than the story. Like there's so many good stories out there that I've, that we've all read, that I've yes. read. And you forget like the, there are some specific moments in there. But in the end, when I'm done reading it, I, my judgment comes to like, was that a satisfying story? Not was it a satisfying moment sometimes. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so at some point, maybe we might have to redo a revision of this list <laughs> when, when I, my brain yeah. like pops back in with other things. But um. And Joe, you might have to help me with this one because um, okay. I came to me because I was like reviewing lists online, just trying to think, because rounding out my, my my bottom five or whatever. And so I chose a Batman moment, Ooh. and I, this is from the New Fifty Two, Joe. And you can correct me if I'm wrong because I think you've read you do you read all the Justice League of New Fifty Two, right? The, yes, uh, I did. One of the few so, books in the New Fifty Two I read. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, Jessica Cruz originally got the the crime syndicate Green Lantern ring, right? That's what right, she had when she became Green Lantern. And the fear that she had during anxiety and depression was what was fueling that ring originally and controlling her instead of controlling um, instead of her controlling it, controlling right? It, yes. So the Batman moment that I remember is Batman's, I think, greatest heroic moments is not when he's punching the Joker in the face, is but when he's inspiring others to be better than themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Batman goes into when Jessica is struggling not to be evil but, and overcome the ring and convinces her to overcome her fear and anxiety and gain control of the ring and not use it for evil, but to become a, the Green Lantern she wants to become. That's so such a good pull. That is great, James, yes. So she is the man who, he inspires her to be the hero that we know now. I don't know if that, that's her still her origin, Joe, because I who knows after rebirth and stuff, but uh, I do like that origin of her. That's when she changes things and still has to learn, learns how to control her anxiety and her fear, um, but change, change the ring into a lantern ring and not a crime syndicate green lantern ring. I believe that origin is still uh, canon, but it's hard to say because DC, you know, reboots every 35 uh, ish, uh, every thirty five minutes, so <laughs> it's hard to say. But yeah. She's a great character. I, I understand that if and when they ever get that HBO Max Discovery, whatever you want to call that uh, new uh, streaming service now off the ground, there's going to be a Green Lantern series, and uh, she's going to be one of the Green Lanterns. I hope I hope to God she's one of them. Yes, I hope to God, yeah, because uh, her or- it's great, and it's sort of, um, I guess my heroic moment is two heroes, because Batman inspires her, and then she's strong enough to take his advice, and that's when she turns things around. So that's my number that's five. Such a, that. That's such a great pull, too, and I think that, you know, that that resonates with so many people. One of the, it's funny, because you, you mentioned Jessica Cruz, and um, the way I was introduced to, to her was um, a friend of mine that I used to do some, some theater with. Um, he had bought a number of... Uh, like he basically bought a ton of copies of an issue in which she's just having trouble getting out of bed. Mm. 
and he just wanted to share it with people who struggle with anxiety and and um, and or or that don't necessarily struggle with anxiety, but know people who struggle with anxiety and what that's like and how sometimes um, doing the hard stuff is easy and doing the easy stuff is hard. Yeah. And like being able to connect on that that level, you know, that's that's really special for so many people. Like being able to connect in that way is so human. And I think that's, Joe, we've talked about this before with regards to Superman and how it's not the super that makes him special, it's the man. Exactly. And that so many writers miss out on that. And um, and it's not because the the man does cool stuff. Sure, it's the super that does the cool stuff, but but the per- but we connect to the man exactly. there. You know, we connect to the person. And so um, that moment for both Batman and Jessica Cruz uh, is wonderful because it's not about Batman, like you said, doing something cool, saving the day. He does save the day, but he saves the day by, I understand this is not the, the context or anything, but, but what I would take away from it in a personal life is like, you don't always need to be the hero. Sometimes you're the hero by being the friend. We don't all need to be Frodo. A lot of us need to be Sam. So great pull. Great pull, James. I love it. Yeah, thank you. I wish I could remember which volume it's from. I think it's one of the later ones, at least volume five on. But um, yeah, definitely take a look at it. If of As Joe said, it's one of the redeeming books in the New 52. Not all of the New 52 was great, but the St- Justice League and Batman were great. So um, uh, Chris, what is your number four? Sure. Uh, so my number four, and again, I, I know we've already started going that way, but again, spoilers for everybody. So my number four is from Farscape. And it was a moment that um, they they build towards over the course of it happened in the in the fourth season, excuse me, the third season, um, the very at the very end, the finale. Um, at this point, you know, Scorpius is he's got wormhole technology from the chip that had been in Crichton's head. And Crichton is worried, as he says, that he's going to use it to shaft the universe. He doesn't want to let that happen. So the problem is that. Um, it, he can't just like wipe a computer and call it good. The information is all is all excuse me is all on um, uh, Scorpius's command carrier. So he he learns that he's got to he's got to go there. The crew of Moya goes there, and it's all very tenuous and difficult and all that stuff. And eventually, you know, it's found out that the crew of Moya is plotting to to basically sabotage the wormhole project. And it seems it's all been sniffed out. Um, and for me, the heroic moment is when they realize they're going to have to blow up the command carrier and it's Krace after spending so much time chasing Crichton, hating Crichton, um, being his foil, his nemesis, and just an all-around asshole, he makes the decision that he and Talon, because Talon is is mentally disturbed because of what the Peacekeepers did to him. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Talon is a living ship. He is a hybrid between uh, Leviathan, which is a peaceful... Uh, sentient spaceship with no weapons and peacekeeper tech. So he's basically a sentient gunship that's being forced to, that, that was designed to listen to commands. And, um, and so basically all of that trauma has, has, he's, he's traumatized. He's got PTSD. The ship does. And um, when Crace realizes that there's just, there's not a way to, to salvage Talon without just completely changing his personality, basically giving him a lobotomy, he decides that they're going to stop Scorpius, destroy the command carrier, and they're going to do it together. And he sneaks onto Talon, and he talks to Talon and talks about how Moya, uh, Moya is the other sentient ship, Talon's mother, has been captured. The crew has been captured, and they need help. 
And it's the kind of help that only Crace and, and Talon can provide. You know, they make the decision to end together. So Crace from his ship broadcasts, uh, Scorpius panics when he realizes what's happening. And so standing in the, like inside the command carriers where Talon is, Talon starts to power up and they're worried about him escaping. And then they realize, oh, they're not trying to escape. And at that moment, there's just this this wonderful, lovely moment. Um, I, I, I'm going to have to look up the actor's name who plays Bylar Crace. Um, I used to know all their names, but I, I just don't remember his name right now. But he's he's excellent. And he just stands on the bridge and he just says, Talon. And you hear Talon sort of respond like a bubbly beeping noise. Starburst. And so the ship powers up. You get one more shot of Crace on the bridge as it all goes... Um, it all gets very white, like it gets the the light gets very bright, and Talon starbursts, and with nowhere for the energy to dissipate, uh, rather than transporting, which is what that would normally do, uh, the the ship dies. Talon and and Krace go together, and the command carrier begins to implode, which also gives everybody time to get off the ship, which was part of the plan. So that that is um, for me a huge character turnaround, um, not quite a redemption arc. Um, which is good. He didn't deserve like full redemption, but this this moment where we see that that he really did have affection for Talon, and he did come around, even if he still doesn't like Crichton. He understands the threat to the the larger galaxy, and the way that it's filmed, the way that it was earned over several seasons, um, I just think it's a it's a beautiful moment, and it still brings a tear to my eye uh, or three when um, when I watch that moment, and he says Talon Starburst. So that's my number four. Uh, that episode is called Into the Lion's Den, Lambs to the Slaughter. It's it's a part two, and um, it's not quite the season finale. It's the penultimate episode of season three. Uh, Lonnie Toop is a uh, Lonnie Toop. Thank you. Yes, and, Toop. Uh, yeah, that was a fantastic episode. I remember um, really enjoying that whole sort of wrap up of slash, like you said, not quite redemption for Craze, but yeah. it, it definitely wasn't like. Um, he definitely meant what he said. He wasn't he wasn't like backstabbing like Scorpius. Get right. spoilers, but but he he meant what he said and he actually cared for Talon. But yeah, that was an incredible moment in Farscape. So that, that yeah. that's fantastic, Chris. Thank you, Joe. What's your number four? Well, my number four is one of my two sports moments, heroic sports moments, and uh, this is an interesting pick. I think maybe controversial. I don't know, but this particular athlete is not a human being. This particular athlete is Secretariat. Won the Triple Crown. Oh, uh, sure, of course. Yeah. 1973 at Belmont Raceway. Um, Big Red, as he was affectionately known, was not supposed to win these races, and he just kept winning them and winning them. And he won the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths. I remember sitting around our our TV, my dad, my mom, uh, my brothers, other family members, because we you know, this, this was a big thing to watch the the, the, the uh, Triple Crown races, especially the, the, the Belmont, if, and if a horse was going for the Triple Crown. So people would gather back in those days, it's 50 years ago now, and sit down and watch these races and make a thing of it. And uh, we were so excited. Everybody was pulling for this horse. Um, Ron Turcotte was the, Turcotte was the uh, jockey. And, uh, and also people also pulling for the co-owner of the horse, Penny Chenery, who took over her father's thoroughbred farm. But, you know, she had little knowledge of horse racing, but she became one of the few prominent women in the sport. And people wanted this horse to win not only for the horse's sake and the jockey, but for her too. So everybody was rooting for this horse. New York came to a standstill that day. Uh, I'm getting chills just thinking about it right now. It was just so thrilling to see this huge, humongous, thoroughbred horse. What a, they say he had a heart the size of a cannonball. Just 
completely lapped the field and, and win this thing, like I said, by 31 lengths. It was an heroic moment by a true champion. And um, I just wanted to get that, you know, uh, I remember that like it was yesterday. And I had to, had to put that into one of my top five heroic moments. So secretariat. That's Very really nice. Great job. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's so funny because uh, before yesterday we we recorded some some sports episodes on Tuesday, and you had mentioned that it wasn't a human, and um, <laughs> honestly, it, it should have come to mind. But like horse racing is horse racing is is so not on my radar that it didn't even occur to me. I was thinking like deep blue, <laughs> like what? The, like I was trying to like a, a computer, like. But um, no, that's that's a great it's a great share. It's not something I would have considered because I I didn't have that background in in growing up with horse racing, you know, the way that you did. So that's that's a really interesting share. Thanks for sharing that, Joe. You're welcome. Excellent, Joe. Yeah. So uh, my number four, I need to do a little explanation with it. So <laughs> sure, but, yes, please. But spoilers ahead. So my number four, it takes place from a Doctor Who Christmas special called "The Time of the Doctor." And to set up the moment for audiences who may not be familiar with Doctor Who, and for I guess you too, if you're not you haven't you're not really into Doctor Who, is um, at this time they had just celebrated the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, and prior to this, the previous history with the character was that he only had 12 regenerations. So Matt Smith is the Doctor at this time. He's Doctor uh, the 11th Doctor. We it's been revealed through the course that he's also used two other regenerations. So technically he's the 13th doctor, but we don't talk about two of the other regenerations. So this is it when we're going into the special and we know as viewers, he is going to regenerate. So, but we don't know how. So in the 50th anniversary episode that happened prior to this episode that I'm about to talk about the doctor Gallifrey, which is the doctor's home planet had been destroyed in the time war in the anniversary special. He found a way to save it, but it's in another universe. So in this episode, this Christmas special, for reasons that I'm not going to get into, all of the Doctor's adversaries are converging on this planet in a town called Christmas. And the Doctor has decided to stay on this in this town and defend it from everybody who wants to come to this town and destroy it because there is a signal being given off that they all want to take advantage of. And basically, it comes down to that the Doctor's most uh, fierce and legendary adversaries, the Daleks, break through the defenses and are going to destroy this planet and destroy the Doctor. And they know that he has no more regenerations left. This is it. They're finally going to get to kill the Doctor after 50 plus years of television. (laughs) While this is all going on, it's revealed his companion at the time is Clara, because the Doctor always has a companion. And while the Doctor is sort of sparring words with the Daleks and uh, basically telling him, this is it. I got nothing left. You can basically kill me. I've done all I can do. She, she reaches out to this signal that's been calling out to the universe. And it's revealed that this signal is actually a signal coming from his home planet Gallifrey that's shifted into another dimension, but has found a way to reach out and, and try to reach him. And she pleads with him that they, they need to help him now because he's about to go down. So just as the Daleks are about to wipe out this, this uh, world, they know the Doctor has no more regenerations left. There's an opening rift, and the, there is this uh, glowing energy that fills the Doctor, and the Doctor gets more regenerations. And he <laughs> used, and the Daleks go from being like very mighty, and they're, ro- they're basically robotic you know, entities, like the Borg, sort of, for those who are not familiar with the Daleks. And they suddenly realize they're in trouble because the Doctor can regenerate now. So they are they are flustered, and because this is a grand spectacular finale, the Doctor goes from being defeated to jumping on his feet 
and twirling around um, and getting ready. You don't tell me the rules is what he says to the Daleks. And he uses his regeneration energy to basically destroy the Dalek ship and the Daleks on the planet. And, um, and that's a great heroic moment. And uh, and then we uh, and then obviously at the end of the episode we move on to the next doctor because he regenerates. But um, that's a long explanation. But no, 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 that's very cool. I'm glad you shared it because I I don't know anything about Doctor Who other than the regeneration thing and exterminate. So I'm glad you shared it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so uh, I, I highly recommend it. It was a high point. I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a pretty high point, and when the show was the most popular, it's been I think the episode itself is a little convoluted, but I thought that was a was the highlight of uh, of a doc of a heroic triumphant moment especially for that character we, so, we did warn about spoilers right yes we warned about spoilers yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well there's a lot i left out in that because this could have been a whole half an hour conversation on that one episode alone to try to get the audience up to date but um there's still spoil there's still good things to be mined in that episode if anyone sure listened to that and said i should check out dr who but um so thank you for that indulgence uh as we move into chris number number three oh, that was that was great um Okay, so my number three, uh, I I sort of ranked it higher because even though it it didn't surprise me, I knew it was coming. But despite knowing that it was coming, I still like I still had an emotional reaction to it, and that would have been, gosh, that would have been two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, no, it was two thousand three, and how I had such an emotional reaction to it, despite the fact that I was, I knew it was coming. It was just a testament to how well done it was. And I still have an emotional reaction to it. Sometimes if I'm having a tough day or something, this is like a heroic moment that I'll like go to on YouTube uh, to feel a little bit better. And that is, uh, that is from the two towers when a and the Rohirrim arrive at Helm's deep. Oh, um, very nice. Chris, the, very nice. the music that they use for that moment, the, the, cinematography is amazing and just and just beautiful the dialogue is written sparingly and well and and it's it's done so well in my mind that it's like it's easy to ignore the whole idea that like you know 10 men rode out on horses and somehow didn't die right they <laughs> they they rode through all those orcs on the ramp uh, the urukai on the rampart and as everybody was staring in awe, for some reason, the Urukai didn't go, great, well, let's kill the king and then we'll deal with the charge. You know, the the moment of Gandalf showing up, then there's Eomer, uh, that that dialogue of uh, Theoden King stands alone, not alone. And then the Rohirrim arrive and then they just, they, they come just thundering down um, what looks like basically a, a vertical mountainside, you know, hillside. Oh, yeah. Just the, 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 yeah, just the way it's shot. It just, um, you know, it's very for me anyway. the The combination of all those elements is very inspiring. It's um, you know these people who have resigned themselves to death. They're they're riding out to meet death, and um, and the cavalry arrives. And so frequently, um, we excuse me, we expect the cavalry to arrive, right? Like they're supposed to get there in time, and they very often do. Um, but for whatever reason, this just this the way this was done. Even though I knew it was coming, even though. Um, you know, it's just it, just the way it was done really still elicits a, a, an emotional reaction from me. So my number three is the arrival of Amir and the, uh, the Rohirrim with Gandalf um, at Helm's Deep. That's a great, that's a great pull, great, Chris. Great cinematic movie, Chris. Great yeah, movie. absolutely. The Urukai weren't doing anything, Chris, because they heard the music too, and they were all that's right. They were all in all of the music. <laughs> yeah, I just you know, it's it's one of those things. I periodically like it periodically bothers me, um, but it's it's a 
in my mind, it's kind of a small thing. I mean, you know, we know that eight of the nine uh, members of the fellowship survive because plot armor. Like, I know, I get that. And some people complain about it. But all of our stories have those sorts of things. And if you're not willing to overlook them, then I just then I guess just don't enjoy stories. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's fan- That's fantastic, Chris. Joe, what's your number three? My number three is a movie. I'm going to stay in the 1970s, a few years, a few years after Secretary won the Triple Crown. And um, you, you, you guys know me, you can guess what movie this is. It's the granddaddy of all the CBMs, all those comic book movies. It's Superman the movie. And there's one particular scene which I still hold on to today as I, as I think the most dramatic, over-the-top, melodramatic uh, scene in, in cinematic history when Superman saves Lois from the, uh, the top of the Daily Planet building and the crashed helicopter. It's just an incredible scene. Uh, he, you know, he flies up, the, he grabs her. Don't worry, miss, I've got you. You've got me. Who's got you? you know, great yeah, line. Yes, <laughs> yes. Fantastic, fantastic line. line. One of the best lines in movie history. Right up there with I'll leave the gun, take the cannolis. But uh, it's just, and, and you know, so he's made the great save, right? He saved Lois. That should be enough, right? No, it's not enough. The heli- helicopter, uh, the, the railing gives way. The helicopter starts falling towards him. She, she gasps in horror. And in true super heroic fashion, he catches the helicopter. And it's just, and I've told the story before, but watching this film back in the day, in, in, in the uh, Christmas 1978, people got up on their, their, their feet and were roaring and cheering. And, it, and uh, of course, he sets the helicopter down. Uh, gentlemen, this uh, man, uh, man needs help. Uh, and, and, you know, she's stunned and she's looking at him, doesn't know who the hell he is or what he is. And she goes, who are you? And he gives the best line ever. Everybody thought in this film that he was going to say, I'm Superman. But he says, I'm a friend. And he flies off. And that was, that, I'm a friend, it was set up earlier when the note was passed in the Perry Wright's office from Clark to Lois. Tonight, you're a place, a friend. Right, so they paid that off in that in that heroic scene. And Chris, you said now, now some uh, movies and, and, and some of these uh, scenes in movies and films, even in TV, I would imagine, you know, can get you out of your doldrums or you're feeling blue. Yeah. Well, this this movie does it for me. But even be, beyond this scene, if I'm really feeling blue, I go to the scene where he does show up for that date, and um, he takes her around, flying around the city. And I just, I'm seeing curable romantic in me. I can't help it. Uh, when I watch that scene of Superman and Lois just flying over the over, over you know, the New York skyline, it just brings a smile to my face, as this movie always does. So, yeah. Superman it's a great, the great save. Great, great pull, Joe. And also, that heroic moment is preceded by, in my mind, the funniest moment in that film is when Clark starts running to look for a phone booth, yes. finds half a phone booth, and it's has so to keep awesome. running. Yeah, the stalls as we call them back. In the yeah, yeah. So it's also one of the you know, yeah, all around is is good. And I'm with you, Joe, on on the the date they go on that music, especially oh, um, wow. just gorgeous. So great pull, very nice. Yeah, very nice pull. And 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 a scene, Joe, for something I'm reading now is I'm reading Superman Birthright, and they copy that scene. That's a whole splash page. Is like yeah. literally him saving Jimmy and Lois and. And stopping like a, a thing, uh, like a helicopter thing from falling. So it's like an iconic scene that keeps getting used since yeah. that time. Mark, Mark Wade uh, took inspiration from the movies, right? That, yes. Yeah, so fa- fantastic scene, Joe. Um, my number three comes from the movie The Avengers. Mm-hmm. The uh, There's a lot of heroic moments in that movie. But the one that always struck me 
is when Banner turns around to Cap and says, Cap, <laughs> I'm always angry. And ter- immediately turns into the Hulk and smashes in the face one of those Antari ships that they've been struggling just to destroy one. Iron Man is trying to destroy one and Hulk can level it with a single punch. And it sort of like wraps up you know, Bruce's arc through that whole movie where he's mm-hmm. uh, running away from his anger or they're trying to figure out why he, can't tur- why he doesn't turn to the Hulk or aggravated and stuff. And it's because... His real trick is just trying to stay calm because he can summon that anger whenever he wants. So um, that that's my number three heroic moment. I, I love it as a character moment. I also love it just because it's. It, I always I said these Marvel movies, the best thing of them is the dialogue. And by then, you know, Cap and, and Bruce have interacted and Cap is talking to him as a friend. He's like, uh, Dr. Banner, now might be a good time for you to get angry. Uh, so yeah. it's just it's just a fantastic moment and it plays so well. And then after that, that's the, the Hulk returning as the catalyst for them to finally become the Avengers for the rest of the movie. So that is, that is my number three moment. Great. Okay. Good choice. Great moment, great moment. Uh, Chris, you're number two. Yeah. So I really thought you were about to steal my number two <laughs> um, because my number two is also an Avengers moment, but it is not from the Avengers movie. Um, so mine is the, there were, as, as you mentioned, here's a movie with, again, a lot of heroic moments, um, but there's one for me that really stands out. And that's, again, this is because of just like my reaction to it. They've been building to it for a very, very long time. And they had dropped hints and all this other stuff. But whether or not it was actually going to happen. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the thing we were thinking about in the moment. Because in that moment, in in Endgame, uh, Thor is in a lot of trouble as he's about to get murdered with his own axe, Stormbreaker. And we see Molnir lift up off the ground, uh, hit Thanos and then return to sender. And it turns out that the sender is cap. Um, So there are a lot of heroic moments there, but the, the buildup that they've had to that ever since, um, ever since age of Ultron, when they're all competing to see if anybody is worthy enough to pick up the hammer. And it kind of shifts a little bit when cap pulls at it. And then there's some relief from Thor that, that cap doesn't actually pick it up. And then there's, there's, there's conjecture as to whether, he was not yet worthy to pick up Molnir, and that's because of um, the fact that he hadn't yet told Tony about Bucky killing his parents, um, or if Cap knew that that would embarrass or hurt his friend in some way. And so Cap chose to put it back down. He knew he could lift Molnir, but he didn't need to prove it, and so he just let it lie. I think that um, that either way, it's it's a fun, interesting, and and cool explanation. But I think it's a heroic moment that that in that moment. Um, he picks up Molnir and uses it to fight Thanos. And, um, you know, the person who is who's worthy of holding the hammer is also sort of the most, um, quote unquote, ordinary. Well, not quite. I mean, you have Hawkeye and, and Black Widow, I guess. But out of all, like, quote, the superheroes, mm. um, you know, what can he do except move quickly and be strong? Right. Um, it's very easy to look at him as being kind of plain when it comes to he's not a lot of flash especially without a shield. Um, so that for me was a really heroic moment. And it wasn't just because of what happens in the film. It wasn't just because of my attachment to Cap. It was because they built up to it over the course of, gosh, what was it? How many films was it uh, before Endgame? Um, I think it was like Age of Ultron happened. So it's like, I, I don't know the number. I mean, of even things, like, I mean, like year... It's like two years worth of movies, almost. Well, to, no, uh, I mean it was more. It was more than that because it was also from the very beginning. I think it was over the course of eleven years from Iron Man to Endgame. 
Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so you figure that really started with Thor. I'm t- talking the original Thor movie because he needs to be worthy in order to lift it again. So mm-hmm. we already know that, like, you have to be you have to be one in a trillion, if that, to, to be able to pick up Mjolnir in the first place. So, mm-hmm. so they've been building towards something special like that for a very long time. We were invested. And being in the theater, when that moment happens, everybody cheering, like you said, Joe, um, about Superman, there is an emotional impact there oh, yeah. for me. And being able to share in that joy with other people of, of seeing Cap pick it up. Um, yeah, so my number two is uh, Cap lifting Molnir in uh, Avengers Endgame. Well, in the great tradition great of the show, I have been poached. Oh no, that was your number oh, one. Oh, really? oh. That was my. I had a one A and a one B. Oh so no, I really, I really thought you had picked one Avengers moment. And I'm like, oh, phew. All right, great. Um, but I will that say, was Chris's, a, that was your one A, James. Like, like that was my one A. But that's fine. Oh. I got a one B. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, I will say, I listened to a lot of interviews as you know. Like, I, I love behind the scenes stuff and mm-hmm. everything. And listening to with the Russo brothers interview, the interview they did say that the reason Cap couldn't pick it up was because he was holding out information about the um, Bucky killing. It killing was Stars. okay. Okay, that's I will, I thought they had left that ambiguous, but okay. That's what they they said. They mean they they couldn't really fit it in anywhere, but that's why he couldn't sure. pick it up in Age of Ultron was okay. because he was he at that time. That was the information that I guess uh, Sam said gave to him in the beginning of Age of Ultron. Yes. where they yeah. said like I came up with a new lead. I think um, Sam comes up to him at the beginning of the party. Yeah, and uh, I think they said that's that's when he like I guess learned that Bucky may have been involved with Tony's parents. Um, oh so. uh, no, he learned it earlier. He learned it in Winter Soldier. Oh, that's right. Well, and yeah, like but that, I, he knew that knowledge at the party, so that was why he um, right. He was not worthy to pick it up. So. Right. And Joe, just to, I don't want to go up too much of a tangent, but just we're talking about who is it? Wonder Woman. Can, who else can pick up the hammer? Wonder Woman did, right? Well, in that crossover that Marvel and DC did many years ago, Wonder Woman, yes. Um, I think Billy Batson in the DC universe. And of course, the JLA Avengers crossover, Superman picks it up too. Okay. So, yeah. But um, th- there's special, that, that gives magic involved when Superman picks it up. Right. There are, there are characters, and there's more characters in the Marvel universe. I think that are also worthy too, besides Cap, but they don't come to mind right now. Other than Beta Ray Bill, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Chris, that's fantastic. Obviously, I agree with your choice. And uh, <laughs> Joe, what is your number two? Well, before I, I, I give you my number two, Chris, do you have a sports moment coming up at all? I I think you is probably that know that I do. You know, I'm wondering if I'm poaching you. I think I'm about to get poached. <laughs> uh, well, my, my my greatest, this is not only the, you know, this is my greatest sports moment ever. And I am the giant, the biggest Yankee fan in the world. This is not a Yankee moment. This is yep. February 3rd, 2008. 17-14, mm-hmm. the final score. The Giants beat the perfect team. They were going to be 19-0. The T-shirts were made up already. The books were made up already. No one in the pregame gave the Giants a chance to beat the Patriots. And they did it. And I'm watching this game with um, 10 guys, my brother and my nephew among them, uh, five, split down the middle, five Jet fans and five Giant fans. And at the conclusion of the game, I think I've told this before, the conclusion of the game, we all broke out in a gigantic cheer, Boston sucks. So it's just, it was the greatest, my nephew standing next to me, when Brady gets the ball back. How many seconds, Chris? 34, something like that? Oh, gosh. One timeout? Uh, no, he had, he, had, he had more than that. Was it less than a minute? No, he had. He had no. He had more than that. Or, or am okay. I thinking of no? Maybe I'm thinking of Super Bowl Forty Six. I'll look it up while you keep chatting. 
Okay. But, you know, uh, my brother said, everybody, calm down. Don't say it. Don't jinx it. This is Brady. He's got a, he's got a timeout. He can, you know, this is Brady. My nephew standing next to me. My older nephew is now a dad. Two girls, my two beautiful little grand nieces. And Uncle Joe, I'm either going to faint or throw up. I said, well, I'd rather you faint. I don't want you throwing up on me. So, uh, and we got through it and they won the game. And yeah, it's again, goosebumps right now as I'm telling this story. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's a, an entire season that led to this, to this great moment. And uh, maybe I'm biased, but I think it's the greatest Super Bowl ever played. <laughs> and it will always be my greatest sports moment. The Giants beating the Pats for Super Bowl 42. So, that's my moment. Very you nice, find, Chris? Uh, that's what I'm, I'm looking for, but I'm having trouble finding exactly. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to keep looking, but, right. but I will say that like, actually this works out. Okay. Because yes, that's sort of my moment. Um, but mine is actually more specific. So. Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, so the, is, so the, the, uh, the touchdown thrown to Plaxico was uh, thrown with 35 seconds left in the game. So okay. you're right. They've got, they had about 30 they had less than 30 seconds, probably. Uh, one timeout, the right? The extra point and the um, – yes, they had one timeout uh, between the extra point and the, the kickoff. And that's an eternity for Brady at that time in his career. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. No, there's – I mean, anything – literally anything could have happened with those oh, passes. Yeah. All he had to do yeah. was heave it up and, um, and yeah. see where it went. Exactly. Well, I can't wait to hear you. I think I know what your moment is going to be. But I, can't I think I think you know too, yeah. <laughs> I think – in fact, I think everybody knows what my moment is. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, all right, so it's up to my number two. Well, yes. Um, yes, yes. there are many there are many times before we started the podcast where I missed the store. And part of why I missed the store was obviously because you could walk in and if you'd watch something on TV or the movies, you could find somebody to talk about it with. Sure. And Sorry. so at the time I saw this number two moment, um, you know, we hadn't started the podcast. Uh, Chris and Josh and the people we've reconnected with, uh, you know, it wasn't we weren't at that level yet where we could just call or text or you know, do all, all the stuff that we do now. This is the end of season two of The Mandalorian. So I am oh. sitting there okay. watching The Mandalorian season two. And throughout this entire season, they've hinted that Grogu, baby Yoda, has reached out to a Jedi to uh, come mm. and train him at the end. And we didn't even know if he would show up at the end. And we also like all the online things and the brief chats I had, like, you know, maybe with you and Chris and Josh via text at the time, were just like, well, it's probably going to be Ezra, maybe from Rebels, which would have been cool, or or some other Jedi that survived. But no way was it going to be Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, because why, why would they do that? They, they can't do that. Like, Mark Hamill's old, and, and, <laughs> and there's no way the Mandalorian's ever going to touch, like, the actual original trilogy. This is, you know, this is preposterous. So I'm watching it, and I'm like, all right, next wing is showing up. Okay, that's cute. And and I'm like, no way is it going to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and then, um, and then you see the footage in the screen, screen, and it's a dark hooded, you know, figure. I'm like, okay, well, you know, lots of Jedi wear dark hoods. Sure. And uh, and then finally, they zoom in on the hilt of the lightsaber and the green blade. I'm like, oh my god, it's Luke Skywalker. But, <laughs> but still, in my head, I'm like, it's not going to be Mark Hamill. I'm like, it's fine. I'm, as he's doing his amazing um, Jedi, you know, slashing through all these droids in the style of Darth Vader from Rogue One. And getting to see Luke Skywalker as a full Jedi, the, the thing we were promised at the return of, Je of the Jedi, which we never got to see, mm -hmm. it was amazing. But I'm like, it's, it, I was like, it's fine. They recast Luke Skywalker. I can live with that. And it wasn't only until we get there, he gets, they open the door and he's showing up, his hood's still down, lightsaber's ignited, and he turns it off and pulls back the hood. 
and it is Luke Skywalker. As <laughs> I was like, I almost <laughs> dropped, I almost rolled a tear because it was like just childhood nostalgia and the whole thing of like just not believing it would actually be uh, this character uh, returning to, I guess, the screen after all this time. So it was an amazing moment and a time which, like I said, like, you know, I don't think I even talked to Josh or you about Christopher for a long time after that. Like, you know, when we finally like catching up and it wasn't even like a highlight of our discussion. It was just something like, oh, did you check that out? But um, but that is my number two moment. I, I can't remember many times where I've been surprised or or so excited to see something and surprised by it as that. So that is my number two moment is Luke Skywalker great, great returning. Moment. Yeah, no, it was it was it was a very it was a very good, very satisfying moment. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, yeah. I knew about it ever before I ever saw The Mandalorian because, you know, when you tour around on the internet, you get spoilers, get spoiled all the time. So, but it's, it's still, when, I, when it happened, I got goosebumps. Yeah, I got it. Like I said, I was in denial until I saw his face. Yeah, so. that's the way you explain <laughs> that, James. Yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. We are at our number one picks. Number one. So, okay. Chris, you're number one. Yeah, so everybody knows that this is uh, going to be from Super Bowl 42 between the New York Giants and the New England Patriots. Um, you know, the Giants have won two Super Bowls up to this point. Um, mm-hmm. But by the time I was – I grew up with Giants season tickets, and we went a bunch. But um, So I was, I was a fan, but more of a casual fan. There was a lot about the game I didn't necessarily know or follow. I wasn't necessarily watching a ton of football you know, from home, unless my dad had the game on or something. It's not how I spent my Sundays for for a a while. And um, I became more of a fan in the the two years leading up to their Super Bowl against the Ravens in 2000. And so that was really disappointing. I actually remember uh, being at a friend's house, watching that Super Bowl. And by the time halftime, the third quarter rolled around, um, everybody else was downstairs playing computer games and stuff. I was the only one <laughs> watching the game. And if yeah, I remember correctly, the, the Ravens came out and um, and returned a kick for a touchdown. At that yes. point, I was so angry and upset right. that I just went home. I didn't even tell anybody I was leaving. I just left. Um, so anyway, um, you know, uh, I became more of a football fan in college and I was watching regularly. And, um, and then, you know, of course, we've got the Super Bowl. The Giants make it unexpectedly to the Super Bowl. And um, I'm living in Buffalo, New York at the time. So that was that was also a factor, too, is that um, there was some mockery of the Giants for being a New Jersey team instead of a New York <laughs> team. And, um, you know, everybody there was a Bills fan. So there weren't any Giants fans except those in my family. Um, so I watched that Super Bowl with my family and it was, man, it was, it was a grind. It was, it was tough to get through that one. The play that I like for me, you're right, Joe. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. Um, the game overall, because I was getting, I was getting phone calls and texts from people after that Super Bowl congratulating me. And that's a great feeling for anybody who, who doesn't know sports. It's, you know, I know the question, the, the, there's sort of this amazement and like, why would why would anybody call you? You're not part of the team, and it's like, right? But this is this is what you, and it's not for everybody. That's okay. It's sports isn't for everybody, but this is what you miss out on. Yes, it's true. You don't have to worry about the lows. You know, the Giants are never going to ruin your day if you're not a sports fan, right? If you're not a fanatic, um, but you're also not going to experience the high. Like I know that sports organizations, leagues, um, owners, they they absolutely take advantage of this feeling of ownership that we have over our teams. Because none of us have that that ownership, right? Unless you're a Packers fan and a season ticket holder. None of us have ownership in our teams. We don't have, really have a stake in them. But we feel like we do. And, and that's something really visceral. And it, and it is. It's real. So um, so that was cool. But my moment is with um, is between David Tyree and, and uh, Eli Manning, of course, the helmet catch. 
the vaunted helmet catch. Um, the Giants, uh, they just narrowly avoided a game-ending interception from Asante Samuel. Samuel. That's right. Um, it's important to know that in practice the day before, David Tyree had dropped everything. He had dropped every single pass that had come his way. Like, it was a disaster. Any coach not worth their salt might have panicked and gone, we can't play him in the Super Bowl. He can't catch. Can't catch, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, there was this history, too, behind it that, like, his grandmother had died earlier in the season. He had taken some time away from the team because he was very, very close with her. So that was that was really difficult. Um, so this game meant a lot to to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And the Giants at the end of the season, lest anybody forget, their final game of the season was against the Patriots, mm-hmm. and they lost. And it was, but it was close. And of course, thirty-eight, thirty-five, something like that. And and those yes. thirty-five points, some of that was garbage time too. Yeah. So it wasn't as close as that, but like. The Giants proved they could play, and they could keep up with clearly the best team in the league. It wasn't even close. Even in the Super Bowl, the Patriots were the better team. I will I will fight anybody who says the Giants were better. That said, you know, the Patriots, while everybody was celebrating the Patriots, the Giants were very quietly saying, you know, we can beat them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the reason I mention all of this is because Eli Manning, who, as Michael Strahan says, has never broken a tackle in his life, should have been sacked. Uh, when they talked to the ref, and I can't remember what his name was, but when they talked to the ref who was back there, the whistle was to his lips. He was about to play, call that play dead. Uh, it was third and five from their own 44-yard line. There was only a minute 15 remaining. They are not going to make this drive happen. Um, and it is absolutely a Gene, Gene Upshaw, I think, was the, the ref. Um, but, I, but I could be mistaken about that. I apologize if I'm wrong. But anyway... The whistle is to his lips. He's about to call that play because when a when a when an NFL player has the ball and is considered quote in the grasp, which is he hasn't been tackled yet, but he's clearly not going anywhere. They blow it dead so that nobody gets hurt. Um, that was what was about to happen, and then Eli somehow breaks not one but two tackles mm-hmm. and just hauls off and throws it up in the air. And Asante Samuel is who is all star, Pro Bowler, all that stuff has his hands all over Tyree, who times it perfectly. Um, Asante Samuel is coming with his hands like sledgehammers trying to knock that ball away. With one hand, Taiva Tyree pins that to his helmet, keeps them alive. And at that point, once that catch was made, the Giants couldn't lose. Mm. There, there were other plays that were impressive and good, but that was the play where suddenly everybody was like, that's it. The Patriots are done. Like, the Giants are going to win this thing. Like, the Patriots will not be able to stop them. And sure enough, they couldn't. Um, and and you're right, Joe. At the very end, there was a chance Brady was going to come back and and ruin them. Right? Like there was absolutely a chance. Um, and 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 it happened the the following year with the Steelers ruining the the cards. The cards had won that game, and the Steelers ruined it and, and stole the Super Bowl. But that moment remained suspended in time as a miracle on both ends um, for so many reasons. And it's actually the reason why you know. And I've mentioned this on the show before. And not to be a downer, but like I feel like it's worth bringing up. Um, you know, that's why it was so upsetting to me when when Tyree yeah. said that he would give that that catch back uh, if if it meant that gay people couldn't get married. It was yeah. such a hateful thing to say. And it made me so angry in so many ways. And it wasn't just because because there are plenty of people who say gay people shouldn't get married. And I disagree with all of them. I think they're wrong. I think it's hateful. I think it's unkind. It doesn't necessarily hit me the way that this did. And it's because. You know, we've talked about boundaries between our artists, athletes, and, and moments and their craft and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, it took something away from the magic of that moment for me. 
that resonated with me so deeply that I was screaming at the TV and, and um, lest I miss the next play, I would have honestly, I would have run out of the house and just run around the house, like whooping. Like I was losing <laughs> my mind. That is the, the biggest emotional reaction I've ever had to, to a thing. I think like I've had emotional reactions to plenty of stuff, but like, it was such it was such a visceral reaction to that that entire play. I was living and dying with that play, and I know that sounds silly to some people who don't have that same reaction. But um, but there was a joy there too that um, you know, it was sort of impossible to recapture. But it but I think of it fondly. So um, it's it's now like more of a complicated moment for me and all that stuff. But my top heroic moment uh, number one is specifically Eli Manning breaking that tackle throwing the pass to David Tyree downfield, him pinning it with one hand to his helmet um, and, and, you know, keeping that drive alive so that they could go on to score and, and win that Super Bowl and, and ruin the Patriots undefeated season. A true sports fan knows exactly what you're talking about, Chris. They know. <laughs> oh, sure. And, you know, and I think lots of people know what I'm talking about too, when we're talking about yeah. a book or a movie, like it was funny, actually, I was, when I, when I saw the two towers, uh, no, excuse me, return of the King. When I saw return of the King, in college, I saw it with a bunch of friends. And and at that moment when Eowyn takes her helm off and says, I am no man and defeats the Witch King, uh, my friend at the time, uh, she stood up and she just she just yelled in the movie theater. It took all of the surprise. <laughs> I don't think even she knew it was coming. She said, that's why you don't F with the women of Rohan. <laughs> it was this really visceral reaction that nobody saw coming like sometimes we don't even know that that emotion is within us we don't even realize we're carrying this 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 tension within us until there's a release and the dam breaks so uh i think anybody can relate to it from different perspectives um but it's one of the reasons why it bothers me when sports fans belittle quote nerds who get excited about tv shows and why nerds who love TV shows belittle sports fans. Um, you know, we all have our different justifications for like why that doesn't count as a, a special moment. That's, you know, sports are real. TV is not. This is a well-written story. Sports are, you know, it's just a game. Um, you know, don't yuck someone's yum. We all, we all yeah. have these different reactions. And, um, and that emotional high is, it's, it's really something special. So, yeah, anyway, my number one. Great, Sorry. great choice, Chris. Very you know, nice, Chris. Like to 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 uh, to talk on to what you just said. Don't rain on somebody's parade. Don't be a wet blanket. You know, just uh, everybody has their 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 feelings and their emotions, and 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 uh, you can't tell them how to feel about uh, about a certain thing, about a comic book, about a TV show, about a, a sporting event. It's um, it's life. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So are we ready for my number one now? You are ready for your number yeah. one, Joe. Okay, my number one is a TV show. It's a TV show that I've adored since I was a child. And of course, it is The Adventures of Superman. And it's one particular episode, the last black and white episode of season two to air, I think, in 1954, directed by Tommy Carr, great action director uh, of not only TV, but movies. Tommy directed a lot of uh, B-Westerns and just great Westerns. And written by one of the greatest uh, television screenwriters of all time, Jackson Gillis. Uh, who had a long career writing for television. And Chris, we talked. you talked about this earlier, how the heroic moment can be a small moment. It doesn't have to be, you know, a world-saving moment. Uh, it doesn't have to be Superman saving uh, the Earth from, uh, you know, a, a meteorite. 
Panic in the Sky, also in the second season. Great episode. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, uh, uh, Batman taking down uh, the Joker before he poisons all of Gotham City. But it can be a personal moment. It can be a moment that shows the true uh, metal of a hero. And um, in Around the World with Superman, Superman uses his, his X-ray vision to help uh, a renowned surgeon restore the sight to Ann Carson. I think she's about 10, uh, the actress that plays Ann Carson in, in, the, um, um, in, the, in the TV show. And um, it's just a beautiful moment. And then when she's, her sight is restored, restored um, he takes her around the world and he shows her the world because that's, she wanted, she had a little ulterior motive uh, entering that contest. She wanted her mother to go around the world. Uh, actually, her mother's in the, the little girl's name. Well, I, you know, I get it confused. One is Elaine, one is, one is Anne. But she wanted her mother to go around the world, so I hoped that she could uh, find her estranged father, estranged father. And he takes her around the world. He, expl- he explains everything to her. She, of course, you can see, but there's a moment where she 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 looks at him in the face and um, she says, "Oh, the world is so beautiful, Superman. I just wish that everyone could see it the, the way I can right now." And then he tells her, well, you know, I have a big surprise waiting for you in Metropolis. And when he gets back, you know, the little girl's going, where's my mommy? Where's my mommy? And uh, Lois grabs her by the hand and says, "We, I have a surprise for you. And not only does Superman and Lois, we got to give Lois Lane credit here too, not only do they give this girl her wish to go around the world, but they reunited the family. They found the father and they reunited the family. And you see the three of them come together, the mother, the father, and the little girl. She hasn't seen her daddy since before she went blind. And it's just a beautiful moment. It's Superman to the core. It's what he does. He helps people. And, um, you know, it's amazing. So that's, that's my top heroic moment across all media for me. Wow. Great, Joe. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's that's fantastic, Joe. All right. And if you haven't watched it, uh, listeners, you should, or listen to it rather, you should go and check out the Adventures of Superman episode we did, where you speak about that, then that episode on that episode too, right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes. Yep. All right. So my, uh, my number one, as I said, Chris uh, had part of my number one (laughs) with Cap lifting the hammer. But uh, my number one also picks up a few moments later in Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. when after uh, Cap's heroic thing with the hammer, Thanos does come back and basically beats Cap to oblivion. And Cap has, uh, he has half a shield at this point. He, uh, he's really beaten up and all the other Avengers are knocked out and Thanos has summoned the rest of his army and Cap gets up and straps what's left of his shield to his arm and is going to single-handedly take on the army of Thanos, which I think shows who Cap is. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he is going to lose, but he is not going to go down without a fight. And just as he's about to engage Thanos, he hears Sam Wilson say, on your left. And then we get to see Chichala and the rest of Wakanda come through the portal, mm-hmm. followed by every other superhero that we've seen on screen for the past 10 years in a Marvel movie show up and surround him. And then we finally get the moment that we've been waiting for when Cap finally says, Avengers, assemble and <laughs> charge into battle with all the Marvel universe at his side. And that is my number one heroic moment. That is a moment that, um, Joe, like you said, I will watch that moment uh, feeling down or needing inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I listen to the music from that moment often because I think it's just, it's fantastic. It's heroic. Uh, 
And it does all, it feels like it does all the heroic things that I would want it to do at that moment. It was sure like, does. and just as we recap, Chris, you're saying in like the lifting of the hammer was something we're building to that one Avengers assemble moment was we were building to for 10 years as well. Also from age of Ultron. It's also, yeah, it's also- age of, because at the very end of age of Ultron, when he sees the new team and they're talking about new recruits, he says, Avengers opens his mouth and the movie ends. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get the uh, we didn't get the full power of it until like That's that right. moment. So um, so that is my number one moment is yep. Cap assembling the Avengers and the MCU for the first time. Well, I guess officially for the first time. Yeah. There you go. Great so game. that is our, our one through five. Uh, Joe, you had a, a, a mea culpa, I think you said that you might want to yeah, issue. I, I blew it with that note that the clock passes Lois in Superman in the movie. It's obviously tonight at your place, a friend is after he saves her. So, you know, when she says, who are you after the helicopter rescues is a friend. And then the next day when Perry's got, gathered everyone in his, his office and he wants, I want the straight dope on this character, you know? And, and, oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when the note gets passed and she, she gets this little wry smile. She's looking around the room. And, and then of course, uh, later on in the film, uh, he shows up at her, on, on her rooftop uh, penthouse. I don't know how she can afford it on a, a reporter's salary in the seventies, <laughs> but okay. You know, a willing suspension of disbelief. If a man can fly, uh, a young uh, professional reporter can uh, afford a penthouse. I mean, so, to be fair, they never really fixed that. You end up in, you know, how did how did they get the apartments they have in Friends? We don't know. Yeah, exactly. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to get that straight. The note comes after the helicopter rescue. Very good, Joe. Yeah, no. All right. Well, um, should we move into um, recommendations for this week for this episode? Sure. As long as are we all done with Mia Copas? You don't have another one for New Jersey, do you? Joe, I just for, for New Jersey. You mean yeah? For no, I just I normally uh, no. Uh, yeah. Brooklyn, sorry, normally you normally well, you have you to Nets? yeah. Normally oh. you have to apologize to somebody for the Nets. I just yeah, want to make uh, sure. <laughs> no, we, we we covered that in our sports. Okay, episode. okay, all right, just checking. And, uh, just checking. I, I take for granted now. that there's always someone to apologize for. Well, yeah, I, I usually uh, <laughs> you know, being a Brooklyn-born boy, I usually uh, put my foot in my mouth numerous times, and uh, usually it usually involves the Brooklyn Nets. So, but no. uh, at this moment, no. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Recommendations. Bad James. We made, we made it through another week with a no, we, or we made it through a week without uh, apologizing to anybody. Uh, yeah. At least can, as far can... as we know, recording this episode because you guys do record sports episodes more in real time. So who knows, audience? If, that's true. Uh, that's true. We have out, little, That's the only little sign we have. How many, however many days without incident. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Chris, you got uh, you got anything to uh, tell our audience about other than what we've discussed today? <laughs> No, actually, I, I honestly, I really don't. I don't have any recommendations other than, you know, watching the things that we talked about with those with those heroic moments. Well, that's good. That's a pretty comprehensive list. I, mean, yes. I, I think I think it is. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to get better about getting back to uh, making sure that I'm doing some reading, some watching. So when you ask for recommendations, I can I can say more than you know, I can do more than grunt hockey. <laughs> Well, I should say, because we obviously record these things out of order, but in line with this week's episode and in teasing next week's uh, Valentine's uh, themed or episode, if you will, um, people should watch Farscape, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. You know what? It. Now that you mention it, sure. Yeah, Farscape. You watch If you have not seen Farscape, um, yeah, there are a ton of Muppets in it. The Henson Company, they do great work. Uh, we say this about a number of shows. It does get off to a bit of a rocky start, but the actors are really good. The character arcs are excellent. 
Um, the Muppets really hold up, and uh, I mean, it takes them a minute to hit their stride, but even the early episodes I enjoy as long as I'm willing to, you know, sort of hand wave some of the sort of goofier stuff they do. And I think, um, I know the first season is available on Prime. I mean, I wonder where it's available. I mean, I know part of it's available on Prime. I think it's free. I think it's all available on Prime, but I can't say for certain because I have it on Blu-ray, and if I watch it, that's how I watch it is on Blu-ray. I okay. think it's on Prime. I think it's in my watch list, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I, I was I forget what I was watching the other day, but I saw at least season one propped up up was prompt up as something I might like to do and it was free for Prime members. So um all right, uh Joe, you got any recommendations for this week? Yes, I hope that Flash Volume Two number fifty four is on our non sponsor sponsor. So if it is, I recommend people uh read that issue. It's a one and done. You don't have to know anything about the character Wally West if you don't, and if you don't know anything about the character Wally West, shame on you. But, um, I think it is because I think I just read that. That was in the volume two. It, they, they released the volume two trade of the current Wally West run. Or are you talking about which which volume are we in? We current run or the this, previous? This is the uh, well, no, the current one would be I guess would be volume three. This is uh, the book that started right after the crisis. Uh, so it's, I think, oh yeah, I think that's that's on there because we we when we had the uh, go back in in time audience and listen to uh, Keith talk about. Uh, yeah, the Mark, the uh, the Wally West, the Flash run, and um, yeah, I think that's available on Hoopla. They have the three volumes of um of Wally West's run, I think, on Hoopla, so they can check it out. Uh, I would also recommend uh, it's. I got this off of um, I don't know if I got it from Best Buy or from uh, Amazon, but the um, Superman the movie extended cut two film collection. It has the extended three hour TV version that was shown on, I believe, ABC back in the in the eighties. So there are, there are scenes that I guarantee uh, you've never seen before. And um, some of them, you know why they cut them. <laughs> they, they belonged on the cutting room floor. But um, there's that extended scene um, that you may or may not be familiar with when Superman runs through the, through the, uh, the gauntlet that uh, before he knocks down Lex Luthor's uh, door to get into his lair. Um, in the movie, you just see him spin through the ground, you know, corkscrew himself into the, uh, the earth and then... Uh, He's definitely coming, Mister Luthor, and he, the door goes down. But before that, there's bullets, there's there's ice, there's there's all kind of fire. He's trying to you know take him down. So that's a good, that's a cool scene. And um, another thing I have is I, I picked up a book recently, uh, just the other day, the Silver Age of Comic Book Art by Arlen Schumer, S C H U M E R. It's a revised edition, and it's a great, great. Um, historical recollection of the silver age of uh, Marvel and DC comics. I've been enjoying it very well, very much right now. So uh, if anybody's into silver age comics, especially Marvel and DC, I would highly recommend this book. So those are my recommendations, James. Very nice, Joe. Very, very nice. My recommendation as I just recently read it is Batman one dark night by Jacques. Oh, okay. It's Jacques is both the artist and the writer on this book. Uh, great uh, stylistic art. He really mm-hmm. gets a nice, gritty Batman and gritty Gotham City. Uh, it's a little Sam Keith also, I think, you know, if I had to, yeah. you know, make some judgments about his art. But um, it tells the story of um, basically Batman is making a prison. There's a prisoner transfer going from uh, Arkham Asylum to Blackgate of a character. I think it's only, I don't know if this character appeared before, but it's a character who has the ability to EMP. His mutant ability is, or whatever metahuman ability is, and um, I won't go into all the details around the story. But anyway, there's a some political reasons and personal reasons why they want to move this character from uh, Arkham into Blackgate, and everybody, all the gangs of Gotham, want him for one reason or another. And at any moment, he could go off and send the city into darkness, which, based on the title, happens. And then Batman basically has to get this criminal 
on foot with no technology through the gangs of Gotham to the prison cell in Blackgate. And it's just, it's just a great um, mm-hmm. art. The art is a lot of, the art drives a lot of it. There is dialogue. There's a background story of revenge and politics. And um, it was just a great story. And it's short too. It's like a little, it's four, it's like three issues, but it was a really short read. Short so um, I recommend that. And then I'm a little, as, as always, um, well, I'm not that late to the bandwagon. Sometimes I'm really late, but um, <laughs> I will recommend Wednesday to any of our listeners who have oh, you're not uh, that late to you're not that late to Wednesday. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm not that as late as I was to contact. So uh <laughs> I like I like that that can be the bar because that gives you so much room to work in. <laughs> right. Yeah, you were uh, later to contact and I was later to breaking bed. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, okay. <laughs> maybe even um, maybe even doubly so. We'll have to ask Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to really go back into the things I filled in pop culture, it wasn't until last year when Karen and I sat down and watched the original Top Gun. So if you want to talk about being late to the party on okay. movies. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I've missed that party and I don't care. So, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Wednesday, uh, I, I'm like almost done with the last episode. So unless things go really awry in 30 minutes of the final episode of these eight episodes, um, I recommend it as a series. Uh, you know, I, I will say like I... As we say in the show many times, we've had a discussion, not everything is made for everybody. So I will say I, watching the first episode, I wasn't really like, oh, I, I get immediately why this is so popular or why it was like number one Netflix thing of the year. Um, and I also, I still don't get it. I mean, I enjoyed the series. That's not to say don't watch the series. Um, I enjoy it. I just don't know exactly what is in it that trick uh, triggered the cultural zeitgeist that had all the popularity. It's like a great show. I, I compare it to like, it's like a, you know, a CW show with a lot of money, which is not a, I'm not putting it down. There's a lot of great CW shows. It's just it's sure, kind of sure. the writing and the pacing and the characters kind of remind me of CW characters. And, you know, and I also, I guess maybe why it's so, you know, why I connect with people. I mean, they're basically doing the Adams family kind of meeting Harry Potter kind of meeting, you know, like X-Men type, you know, like that type of feel. So um, it's a mashup show, which is fine. Um, I'm, I'm a love, I love a good mashup. So, Anyway, um, the dark humor is there. The actress who plays Wednesday, whose name is escaping me right now, is fantastic. And um, I think it's it's worth your time. It's only eight episodes. And um, if you check it out, and you'll enjoy it. So cool. I hope. Thank you both. <laughs> so that is everything, folks. Thank you for being with us as we talked about our top heroic moments. As Chris said in the introduction, if you have comments on those or have your own personal heroic moments throughout pop culture, we would love to hear about them on the Facebook page, or you can comment on the Instagram page when I make the post for this episode. Or you can email us at secretoriginsmc at gmail.com if you want to just do your comment privately and just share it with us. We will be happy to take all of those things in and, and hear back from you. Uh, but of course, I, I could not do this episode without my two other hosts, especially Chris coming up the idea. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for uh, going along with me, guys. This was a lot of fun. And Joe, thank you. You're welcome, James. Up, up, and away. Up, up, and away. And uh, listening audience, uh, as always, like I said, the Facebook group uh, is there. You can join at any time. We have a whole back catalog of episodes at this point, and a few of them we mentioned today. We thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on the next episode. Bye.